Welcome to the Mar Experience, Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. So when we started this podcast, one of our main goals was to share the hopeful stories of Mar alumni, volunteers, family members, and staff members with the people who needed that hope the most, those who were in the midst of facing the desperate circumstances forced on them by addiction. Not too long after we started, our admissions department received a call from Gray D., who had been referred to our program and had gone on our website and listened to the podcast. We were thrilled that he heard it and that he had reached out for help. When he ended up admitting to the men's program, we were even more thrilled. Now he has graduated from the program, sponsors other men in recovery, is the head of the Mar Men's Alumni Association, and just started working in our men's recovery center as a residential assistant, where he helps encourage men who are walking the same path that he walked through Mar. It was truly a pleasure to talk with Gray about his experience at Mar and how things have changed since that first phone call. The, the whole time I was using, there was a desire for connection and usefulness, right? Like I can, I can show somebody how to break down a dry fentanyl patch and shoot it mm-hmm. or break down any kind of drug and, and do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. That's useful. And there's connection there. Like we're all doing the same thing. Um, but that connection like pales in comparison to this kind of connection and usefulness. Gray begins our interview talking about the night he called Mar for the first time. I remember pacing back and forth in my driveway in Knoxville, uh, like, what in the world am I doing? And and really, like, other than just giving you an extensive drug history, and I was like, okay, you, you can come. Yeah. <laughs> Here, uh, it was like, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is, uh, do you think you can live in, a, in an apartment with uh, three other guys and go grocery shopping and cook dinner? And I was like, I guess. I mean, I don't, uh-huh. I don't. I don't know. Was it a family member or something that referred you to Mar? So my aunt um, lives in Atlanta. She uh, worked in some sort of mental health field, but then was in private practice for years and years um, in Atlanta, and knew uh, knew a few people who worked at Mar, mm-hmm. uh, but also knew the reputation and had. Essentially, she sent me the link to the website and said, look at this you want to talk about. Let's talk about it. And I, I got on and looked a little bit. And uh, it was like real clear in my mind that, that like whatever I was doing was very close to the end of, of its life. It just got darker and darker and darker. Uh, and so the, the last year, uh, I, there, were, there, were some, there were a few like real powerful experiences that stick out in my mind I was arrested twice um, which is like not that big of a deal in my mind but at one of the arrests I was in jail long enough to clean up from opiates so I wasn't withdrawing anymore <clears throat> and I was while I was in the cells I was sure that I wasn't going to use again definitely not uh, inject myself with anything again and within like the hour and a half or two hours it took to process me out and then get me on the street uh, that had totally that had gone by the wayside uh, so I immediately I got out at <clears throat> three in the morning three thirty in the morning uh, went and robbed a drug dealer and had shot up before the sun came up and I was like what the 
Um, a few months after that, one of my best friends uh, died from multiple infections and brain lesions acquired from injecting uh, narcotics. And that like knocked me back a little bit. Uh, and I thought, man, if I can, if I can stop shooting up, I'll get this. Because I, I had long periods where I could like kind of control it or pull it down from like do, doing copious amounts to like somewhat manageable and then it would just explode again right and so when she died i uh i like backed up and i stopped stopped injecting for the first time in seven years or something eight years and uh i had a couple experiences around family um where i felt really present and sober and they did not think that at all like they they were like terrified for me to be around my nephew, uh, and that was the best. Like that was the best I could do, um, and it wasn't wasn't good. And then my body started rejecting drugs, and I was falling out um, continuously. I would think I would be real lucid, and then just black out, fall down, be unconscious, have to be dragged somewhere. And there was a lot of that. My brother found me, thought I was dead. I was in a pool of blood, and uh, left me. Uh, there, there were a lot of those experiences right at the end. Well, for years, but they just like right. really piled up, and I became, I was clear enough for that that period of time that how unacceptable it was to me, uh, and for whatever reason, there was some some desire to change it near the end. Mm -hmm. There were periods of like I'm just gonna try to. <clears throat> Uh, eat benzos or I'll just do subs and drink and then it's like all these different combinations right. and all of them led back to to opiates and heroin for me mm -hmm. and so around that time when it was getting really bad you kind of floated the idea to your aunt or something or yeah it was all, it was like on and off for for a couple of years or you a few call, years call her in like moments of desperation or willingness or yeah, or just like real, real um, high, and okay. just be like, like send her a text and be like, I'm really thinking about this, and it, I guess it was just like playing with the idea, mm -hmm. testing the idea, and and getting myself ready for it on some level, um, and it would like be in a conversation for a few days, and then I would uh, go through some like you know three month long benzo and crack and heroin binge mm -hmm. and so it was like that repetitively right, for right. for multiple years so your aunt had mentioned mar mm -hmm. you went on the website and checked it out i remember watching or listening to like two or three things and i know i'd heard i heard a podcast with matt and doug and maybe will oh, or somebody yeah, yeah that's right yeah 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 and i have no idea what they were talking about right. but as soon as i met matt i was like yeah that's you. There, there was a real clear understanding, which it doesn't, like in the scheme of things, looking at the 10 years prior to that, doesn't make any sense as to why it was so clear then, but it was like real clear that, that this was the end for whatever reason. Um, and it, it was like this real internal impending calamity type, type situation. Um, no, leading up to it. So I had... Um, this this real overwhelming experience the day before I went to detox where I was going back and forth of whether I was going to go 
um, and there was there was a real I was living in the house where my mom died, and there was a real powerful experience of somebody's been watching out for you this whole like I've had countless overdoses in that house. It's like somebody's been watching out for you. So it, it manifested in this desire to actually go to detox. And once I got to detox, I was like, okay, if I can get this out of my system, I'll I'll uh, I'll be good. And then you showed up and I was like, oh, maybe I'm gonna go. And it was just it was sort of like just tiny I can do maybe the next thing. Yeah. Uh, and then even the day that I remember sitting sitting in the front of the building uh, and Ashley came out. I was talking to Ashley and then Matt and then Ashley and then Matt. Uh, and <clears throat> my my roommates that I didn't know were my roommates came up and said hello. Um, and then that night on the porch, I remember talking to one of them. And this was one, like one of the things I think that probably allowed me to stay. Uh, I was talking to him about how much I didn't feel like I should be here. Like I didn't fit in. I'm a codependent junkie, very little formal education. And I'm in a treatment center with like doctors and lawyers and business executives. And it's like, I don't feel like I fit in here. And he said, you do, you just don't know it yet. But if you stay another day, I'll stay another day. And I was like, okay, we can we can do that. So that was like part of what helped me start coming down. You you still in touch with that yeah. person? That's pretty cool. Yeah. You shared that with them? Yeah, we talk about it frequently. It's yeah. kinda like a little thing we'll say back and forth to comfort each other, let each other know we're there. And you said you remembered Matt's voice once you heard it. Like what was your like how were you feeling about them, like the staff? Ashley, I don't know, Ashley's, uh, if you've ever met Ashley, he's kind of got just a, a calming, curious presence to him. Um, it's a good way to describe him. Uh, and Matt was, it was a little different. Matt's a little more, mm, a little more Matt. I mean, I don't know. So he, when he found out I was from Knoxville, he took me back to his office <laughs> And he had all his Tennessee stuff around and he went to point at something and I like jumped back and he <laughs> said, man, you're a junkie. And I was like, yeah. Uh, but then I told him I was not a UT fan. I was a Florida fan. And he was like, oh. he, he was not happy about that. I don't know. I, I do know I, uh, I felt more comfortable with Ashley and Will than I did with Matt. And he was my residential manager for the first few months a uh -huh. couple months by the end um of halfway though somewhat of that shell that matt can put up i could start to get around a little bit so you're getting to know those guys oh and did you meet doug early on too i did so i was in detox and this uh dennis from pennsylvania had been through mar uh, he was going he'd been through talbot and mar and he was going somewhere and I don't know, somewhere in North Carolina. And uh, in detox, you're all talking about where you're about to go and all this. <clears throat> um, he he said, there's a white-haired guy there that can see into your soul. Um, which I was like, awesome. <laughs> That's not who I want to be around. <laughs> uh, he came back and saw me in the medical bay area. 
Doug did? Yeah, that's the first time I remember seeing him. And he just kind of did, did Doug a little bit of a little smoke and mirrors, saying something without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you could see into your soul? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I had my guard up around him for a while. Probably still do on occasion. Sure, yeah. Uh, but he and I have a lot of similarities, come to find out. Oh, really? Um, yeah. He was my, I was in his spiritual life group, uh, which I'm still in, in that group. Okay. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of similar life experiences and, and um, personality traits. So you, you're you here at the residence, the guy says, one of the other guys in your, was he a guy from your community? Yeah, yeah, he, um, he was about to be in phase two, okay. I think. So I think his his sobriety dates like early May. Mine's uh, early mid June, early June. Okay. So he was a month ish ahead of me. Okay. Which is like perfect how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. You, you in what way? So I'm fresh in that day. He's a month in. He's his word probably carries more weight with me than anybody else's at more, right? Because he just made it through what I'm about to go through in the next 30 days. So he's the like closest to that reality that I can get. Um, so he knows where I'm about to walk and like can very clearly show me, which I think is a lot of how more works. And are you doing, so you go right into feeling school mm-hmm. like your first week? Yeah. The first, actually I was in primary group. I didn't say anything, uh, but I was in Bob's primary group the first day that I got here. Mm-hmm. And then spiritual life was the first group that I had to speak in, which was terrifying. I bet. Mm-hmm. Was it that night, like Monday night? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What's going on for you just aside from speaking in that group but what's going on for you like emotionally like like how are you feeling like are you anxious are you yeah feeling like you want to jump out of your skin yeah terrified i'm real defensive and i don't like people i don't like feeling like people are trying to probe into me and mm-hmm. get things out of me mm-hmm. and anytime somebody's asking me a question right and i'm in that defensive state it's that's what it feels like um Dave, um, who was my individual counselor, my introduction into his like group room group, mm-hmm. large group, uh, I think it kind of frustrated him. And he told me later on that if he was ever going to call somebody, have somebody go to the witness stand for him, it would be it would be me. Because uh, you wouldn't give him anything. Yeah, because I would just shut him down. Um a lot of treatment for me, and I think everybody's different, um, although I think everyone's closed down when they come in, some more than others. Some come in kind of flying, and some come in crawling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it for me was about learning how to open up and be honest and not talk around things, like talk and walk into them, right? I'm good at being vague and getting around points and not answering questions and um it's harder to be seen but the reward is much greater Mm -hmm. 
was it a process of starting to be feel more comfortable with the guys that you're in the primary group with that you're that's what i think that was part of it uh it was a smaller group it was it was small it was intimate it was in his office i saw them um, a few times a week my closest friend was in there and bob's real good about uh just kind of allowing space and i'm a person who uh needs space right like normally the way to get things out of me is not press into me but kind of let them move back and let them come out and bob's real good about doing that the pressure closes me. Yeah, some people do good with the with the pressure, but I don't. I, mm-hmm. So that's where I started opening up. I think it got more and more uh, working with with Dave was. I'd gotten to a point where, and he's a very much directly at you pressure, um, but he called into question a lot of the way that I operated around people and just just who i thought i was as opposed to maybe the more the reality of of who i am uh and challenged me to kind of stand up for for who i wanted to be and uh that was that was a really helpful process bbr was another place and building they, better relationships yeah, yeah was uh that was so you do a life story and then you do a life story and community group and you do a first step inventory and all those were great experiences of opening up and learning how to talk about myself uh and then bbr was like highly valuable for me because it 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 looked a little more in depth and it was more intimate and um there was there were real real relationships formed in that group Three of the guys, three or four of the guys that I was in that group with are some of my best friends. Oh, wow. Um, so the fir- is the first thing you do the life story? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what was your anxiety level like going into that? I it, it was relatively high. It was, I had, I had been pretty honest in that story, which, or I think, it, I think I was pretty honest in the story. And you just read it? Yeah. Is that what you... Yeah, and it was long. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it being long. Then the 39s, which for people that might not know, that's like the first step exa- examples of how you're powerless. Correct? And unmanageable, yeah. What was that process like for you of writing those? Was that difficult or was that? Yeah. So there were there were some tears in writing the life story um, and the anxiety level in writing the first step. Part of what Bob asks his guys to do is uh, challenge themselves to push out of their comfort zone. And I definitely did. There were, I think there were two, two or three things in there that nobody had, uh, maybe a lawyer and uh, my dad knew mm-hmm. uh, or my significant other at the time. So I, I remember kind of like the same way that I did my four step is I did it in like two or three sittings of sat down, prayed, and then wrote for hours and hours and hours. And distinctly, when I was writing two of them, I was like visibly shaking. Wow. Writing them. Just because, like, taking that in of what had happened and knowing that once I wrote it down, I would end up reading it uh, and like the implications of how are these people going to think about me and how am I going to think about myself and how do I come to terms with. Uh, the reality of this actually happening. Powerful. It was powerful. Yeah. 
And I actually, <clears throat> one of those 39s, the last time I told my story in the middle of November, I talked about that in front of 70 people that I've never met before. So that's oh, wow. a pretty big turnaround. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> huge. I really like how you describe that of like shaking as you're writing it, thinking about the implications of this getting out because it shows how powerful that or like what a big weight that is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, and you're probably walking around like not really thinking about it most of the time, Yeah. but there's this huge, powerful, like secret yeah. that you're carrying around that you've got to like, whether you're consciously, thinking about it you're like on guard trying to oh yeah not just you i mean everybody everyone yeah but so it but the way you described it 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 really draw, drives that home for me of how these things that we seemingly aren't that big of a deal or that we're not consciously thinking about all the time have this and of course if you're carrying that stuff around of course you're going to be evasive and vague and not mm -hmm. answer questions directly because yeah. you, if you do it might get too close to that thing that yeah. you're spending all this energy yeah yes very true <laughs> that is very true it opens up a whole a significant amount of mental space and emotional energy to expend elsewhere so what was that like for you that opening of energy and space it's been pretty amazing, uh, the amount. It's It's been a, like, that was just the beginning of it, the mm. real beginning of it. And it's continued through working the steps and then taking other people through the steps and continuing to invest in service and all this other stuff. It's like what I do today on a day-to-day -day basis, there's no, like, I probably, it would have taken me weeks to do stuff that I do in a day. Like what, for example, if you don't mind sharing? So I'm doing this, and then I'll I'll work the rest of the night yeah, until right. 1.30, uh, talking to 20 different guys throughout the night. Alcoholics um, and addicts. Who yeah. Are and then... Um, here for treatment. Yeah. Who, who I've been them. Yeah. Uh, I am them. Um, and then in the morning, I'll wake up and probably go to Mar if I can get up early enough. If I can get to bed early enough, uh, and then I'll meet two or three of the guys that I sponsor, and then I'll go lead a discussion tomorrow night, and then I'll get up at six or six fifteen on Sunday morning and come back here and be here until about. Well, actually, in the middle of that, I'll go to an alumni uh, association meeting, um, and which I had the the Mar Alumni Association Men's Alumni Association now. Oh, you're um, you're the you're the guy. Yeah, you're the head of that. I'm the head of that. Oh wow. Um, so we have a meeting at eleven on Sunday. So I'll do that. Come back here. Be here till three. Meet the other two or three guys, and then go to a meeting, uh, and then wake up and work all and start it all over again. Um, and like most every day looks pretty similar to that. So like not only would I not have wanted to do any of that <laughs> <laughs> or seen the benefit of doing that, which, you know, um, is immense for me. I don't think, I don't think everybody needs to do that or wants to do that or whatever. It, it works for me and I like doing it. I get a lot out of it, a lot more than it costs me. I know that. 
but there's no way I would have had just the energy to do that or the mental capacity to be present in the moment of all those things. Even if you were detoxed and yeah, not, not using. Not a chance. Yeah. Not a chance. I had an experience last Saturday with a guy doing a fifth step that it, it was um, uh, eight hours and I couldn't tell you much about it was so there aren't very many words you can use to describe that kind of like connection and presence with another person and that fifth step for people that aren't familiar that's the uh, sharing with another person your mm -hmm. inventory yeah so that's yeah it's a powerful experience yeah <clears throat> is that the first time you heard one mm -mm. okay mm -mm. No, but it was a, it was a different kind of experience this time and they're all different, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that one was real powerful, but no, I don't, I don't know how to, how to explain the process of going, not wanting to get an up and chair a meeting for a month. So four or five times, which happened, uh, last October, I guess. Uh, to go from that to today like I don't I don't know what that what that shift is I think it's a continue just just a little bit of willingness followed by action followed by whatever that feeling and reward uh, is it's it's like the the whole time I was using there was a desire for um, connection and usefulness right like i can i can show somebody how to break down a dry fentanyl patch and shoot it mm -hmm. or break down any kind of drug and and do whatever you want with it mm -hmm. that's useful for junkies to <laughs> yeah <know>. right <clears throat> uh and there's connection there like we're all doing the same thing um but that connection like pales in comparison to this kind of connection and usefulness which is ultimately, I think, what everybody wants on some level is connection and usefulness. In my experiences, the more of that that I can get, the better I'm doing mm -hmm. internally. There's still other stuff that I need to do for myself to be in mental uh, and emotional places to be uh, of maximum fit for maximum services, as the book would say. Mm-hmm. Now, now you're an RA here at at the uh, men's apartments. That's where we're doing the interview. How do you like it now being, you know, kind of coming full circle of being the guy from, you know, being the guy who wasn't even sure you were going to come to now being the guy kind of coming by the apartments? What's that like for you kind of reflecting back on that? I know that when I got... I came to Mar. There, there. Uh, there's a part in the book that uh, I have an annotation beside uh, that says "No Way Out," um, where the quicksand is all around, um, and that's a spot that I remember very well. And to be, to be anybody who can, like, to have one experience. If I can have one experience helping somebody see that there is 
some other possibility other than death or doing this forever. I'm going to take that. And it comes in all shapes and sizes and variations. Uh, the, the people that were that for me, I'm eternally grateful for. So if I can be that for somebody else, that's a pretty amazing opportunity. Yeah, man. So if you had one thing that you'd want to pass on to people that are listening, some hard-won wisdom, what would it be? I said, I said to a guy, uh, the guy that I had that fifth step experience with, he told me when we started working together that he'd been in recovery a lot. Uh, and he knew what to expect out of the first 90 days. And I looked at him and I said, well, maybe you do. Um, but how about we, we, we do this like maybe you don't. Uh, so like open-mindedness, I mean, it talks about three, three essentials in the book. But if I'm open-minded, I can, I can go pretty much anywhere, anytime. And if I keep looking, chances are I'm going to keep moving. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. It's really a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. This is the last episode of our second season before we take a break for the holidays. My name is Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate and our co-producer is Angela Edmonds. We'll see you next time when we come back in January for the start of season three.